This is a download from the outdoorstation.co.uk. You're listening to the tale of three podcasters walking across Scotland during the 30th anniversary of the RAB TGO Challenge, Part 5. This podcast is just one from a special series produced from a wealth of recordings made in May 2009 during the 30th anniversary of the RAB TGO Challenge. Recording the event were Andy Howell, Shirley Worrell and me, Bob Cartwright. We were just three of the 360 or so challengers who were walking the unsupported 200 miles from the west to the east coast of Scotland. This was the 30th year of the event, sponsored by RAB and, of course, TGO Magazine, who have been behind the challenge ever since its inception in 1980. The framework and principle is totally unique. It isn't a race or competition of any kind. The objective is to foster good fellowship amongst walkers within the framework of a challenging 200-mile expedition. This is a backpacking trip, and everyone carries what they need for the duration, picking up the occasional food parcel along the way. The start consists of a series of sign-out locations on the west coast, anywhere from Torridon in the north down to Ardrishaig in the south. Each challenger, solo, couple or group, makes their way via a high route, a low route or the mixture of the two across Scotland to finish anywhere between Arbroath and Fraserburgh on the east coast. There's a set two-week window to do this in, and each participant submits their route for inspection prior to departure, for safety and advice reasons. The places are normally limited to 300. However, on this 30th anniversary, this was increased to 360. Details about the future events, entry forms, past stories and photographs can be found in the October issue of TGO magazine. Plus, in recent years, there's an ever-growing online library of podcasts, diaries and blogs from numerous challenges dotted around the web. Each participant makes the challenge as easy or as hard as they wish. The extremes can be a remote high route, carrying everything you need, navigating your way across wild country, taking in the magic vista which only Scotland can offer and not seeing another soul for days on end or a route taking in the many social meeting places, not camping at all and using established warm, dry accommodation all the way. Most people do a mixture of the two in different forms, depending on the ever-changing conditions an event like this can throw at you. On this 30th anniversary, three of us took audio recorders with us to share our experiences and those of others we met along the way. Rose and I started from Oban, Andy Howell and his partner Kate from Torridon, and for the first time this year, Shirley Worrell was to give us a solo female perspective, also starting from Torridon. We were all aiming for different finish points on the east coast via completely different routes. And so this is our story. It's a beautiful Wednesday morning and I'm sitting outside the uh, Dalwini Inn, uh, right beside the, uh, the river, uh, next to Callum the owner. 
and uh, and certainly when you first meet Callum, you realise he's not actually a local. So I'm fascinated to know how uh, how somebody like yourself came to to obtain the the Darwinian Inn. Sure. Um, well, actually, I am Scottish, although the accent is very misleading. Um, my family are all further south in Dunblane in the Stirling area. Uh, but previously I was working in the extreme sports industry and I was in uh, Southern California, came back from there and we wanted to do something that involved finding a hotel that was in a good location for extreme sports, that we knew people who loved the outdoors, we could provide a service that would meet their needs and something that we understood. It was a market we, we got our head around. Um, so when we took over, we inherited um, the business as a coaching business. Um, you know, a lot of coaches pulling up, stay for two or three nights, move on, next coach arrives. So... We weathered the storm of that one for the first year and then stopped doing the coaches. And for the last two and a half years now, we've done nothing but look after independent travellers and have an increasing number of people who are outdoors people and connect us with that environment. So it's been a fun, fun journey. Well, I was here uh, five years ago. And uh, as you say, it was definitely the coach um, customers that seem to be the form of the majority. Obviously, Dalwini itself is, is bypassed by the main, main road there. Have you found that to be an advantage or a disadvantage as regards this sort of, it, it creates this sleepy backwater? Mm. It, it's funny, the road is a fairly critical thing in as much that our location, people think you're not going to pick up an awful lot of passing trade through here, but it's actually dramatically different than that compared to other places. You could be in Newton Moore or King Ucie and it could be an absolute ghost town and we'll be absolutely heaving here. Um, and the reason for that is in part because we have one of the few filling stations along the way here in Dolwini, because I don't think people realise that there isn't a gas station every 10 miles along the A9. So that is fairly critical. And also we're on that access road for going across to the west coast to Sky. So we get the north and south traffic coming to us, and then we have the offshoot to Sky as well, people going from the west coast. So we do really well from that. But although we're only two miles from the A9, the other advantage, as you say, when you're sitting here like we are now by the river, it feels like you really are in the wilderness in the middle of nowhere. So it's a lovely combination, really. The, the impression I had of the village when I came through several years ago, and it doesn't really seem to have changed that much, is that it seems to be a very quiet place. Uh, uh, there's probably, I probably, best part of 100 houses, I suppose, but um, there doesn't seem to be any much in the way of local activity. What is it actually like living here? Is it fairly quiet? It is a quiet place, and I think the population now for Dolwini is probably no more than about 60 people. And the majority of those people either work for the distillery or more likely are estate workers. So it's, um, it's a very, very small community and an increasing number of houses are owned by people who have them as a second home, as a holiday home. Um, but the local activity itself is fairly small. You're not talking about um, a population with a huge disposable income and most people work very long hours, especially the estate workers. So they're people we would see sporadically during the course of the week. It is a very sleepy place, there's no doubt about that. But it's very busy with outsiders who are, if the weather's good or even if the weather's bad, people who are out climbing mountain biking, using the lock as well. The lock is vastly underused, but I mean, there, are, there are more people outside coming here than there are insiders who, who really benefit or enjoy it, to be honest with you. The, um, you've obviously got a station here which services the, the, the village, which is great. Um, and we walked along the lockside yesterday and saw some of the, the construction that's going on down there. Is there a story attached to some of those buildings? Oh, very much so. I mean, I'll tell you one thing about the station, which is a great thing that we benefit from there as well, is that the overnight sleeper train comes from Euston straight to Dulwini. So we get a lot of people who are coming up from London who are looking for outdoors activity, and they'll just take the train and be here 7.30 in the morning, have breakfast, and off they go straight out to enjoy it. Um, on the loch, yes, that side that you were referring to is the Benalda estate, which is owned by um, an incredibly wealthy uh, Swiss billionaire. 
and he is spending absolutely millions and millions of pounds on there. Um, he's built his own estate houses, the big Disneyland house. I don't know if you saw that yes, as far down is. the end. He's um, last year built a helipad onto the loch, um, which opens up in the hillside, sucks the helicopter in, and the hill shuts again. It's like a Bond movie. <laughs> and he is now currently, the project you probably saw, is he's rebuilding a church. He's, he bought an old church, moved it brick by brick down here. And um, I believe the ultimate goal is that's going to be his final resting place. So great, great if you've got the money to do it. And the irony is only here four weeks a year. So. I was going to say, does he actually bring much business into the area? He obviously creates a huge amount of employment in terms of the estate. He does not skimp on investing in that. So I know certainly the, the um, estate workers, you know, they're provided with their own accommodation. The accommodation's good. Uh, he's constantly making sure that the quality of their accommodation is up to scratch. Um, and obviously he's keeping a lot of people employed building stuff for him. Um, so I think people balk at it a little bit, but the reality is you need estate owners to have the money to be able to fund these things and to keep the estate managed well. Um, it's, uh, it's a pretty talent challenging job. And so I think people are very enthusiastic about the fact that the guy's here doing that. I know, um, again, from the, the various trips that we have done over the, over the years uh, through Scotland, that uh, when you do speak to local people, they generally have two or three jobs. It, it does seem to be uh, that sort of necessity if you to, keep, to keep things going. You need to be able to turn your hands to everything. Um, how have you find, um, found it employing staff? Well, funnily enough, there isn't uh, anybody who's local who works for us, and that's not through lack of opportunity for the people to apply for those jobs. Um, I'm not really sure what the reason is for that, and I know... Most of the hotel trade does rely on uh, people who are travellers or from other countries coming to work for them. We have um, a head chef who is Scottish, I've got a second chef who's Scottish, and I've got one girl who's working front of house who is Scottish, but the rest are a mix of Australians and uh, Canadians. So we're lucky that we've managed to retain the same people for well, some of them for the entire time I've been here and others for two years, which is unusual. A lot of people have a very high staff rotation. But I think we've managed to do that by creating a, a culture here that's good fun to work in. It's a nice atmosphere. It's not your conventional kind of hotel in terms of the, the spirit and the energy of the place. Um, but I would be very encouraging as having local people to work. It's a good thing because obviously we know the local area to, to a reasonably good degree. But it's nice if somebody comes and they can meet somebody who's local who can answer all sorts of other questions that they want to answer. Um, but we've made a good job of making sure we're as well-versed as we can be to, to facilitate that. Well, it's a lovely vibe you've got going in the place. Uh, very much the sort of chill-out uh, feel to the, to, uh, to the main lounge area there. And I, I, I gather you've made some alterations, obviously, since you, uh, since you took over the place. Uh, and I see you put on um, sort of various music events as well. That, uh, does that gather a great audience? It does. It's, it's been a big success, actually. It was a, a result of just a coincidental meeting with a group of DJs who were travelling up to a festival in, in Inverness. And they said, we would love to play here. This would be a great venue. And they loved our food as well, and especially some of them who were vegetarians. We're going, oh, the food's fantastic. And so we started coming up with a, a plan. And then the first plan was to do a one-off event called Lockstock. And that went uh, at the end of September. We did 24 hours solid DJs playing back-to-back. -back. And it was amazing. I think we hit about 350 people here who were for that. The following year, then we started thinking, well, people are asking for more of this. So how can we do this on a smaller scale? So we now have um, an, an event every first Saturday of the month called Dalwini Sessions. 
We have um, DJs from all over the UK playing here, whether they're Scottish or very good friend of mine from Head Candy. She was playing here for Valentine's Day. Um, so the quality of the DJs is brilliant, but it's the way of combining the food and the music together that I think really works. So we've, we've, we're full most weekends for that. And there's a website for that, which is um, dillwinniesessions.com, which is separate from the hotel website, which gives more information about what's going on and who's playing. And, and where do people come come from to, to attend that sort of event? Do they come from very far? We've had people from Spain come specifically for it, um, but generally from Scotland it's anywhere from the central belt upwards. But we have people from northern England as well who've come, some from London. I think, and we've had a lot of them who've just come back again. You know, once they've been here once, they've just really enjoyed it and got into it. And it's kind of a unique feel to it. It's, it's better than, you know, you go to a club for the night, it costs you an awful lot of money, and it's over. Whereas if you're here... Nobody is in a rush. They're out by the river, sipping cocktails, meeting new people. The music's all day, um, and they just kind of get into the spirit of it, and it's, it becomes quite um, addictive. Now, I understand the the relationship you've got with the people on the TGO Challenge, the challenges as we refer, refer to them, came as a bit of a surprise to you when you first took the the hotel over. To, tell me a bit about that. Yeah, the um, previous owner somehow overlooked letting me know that that chunk <laughs> of May was going to have me absolutely heaving. Um, so, yeah, we just kind of saw this mass of people. You'd think a bomb had gone off somewhere and they were exiting from somewhere. Um, so we were, people in their droves coming through eating and um, we kind of had a rough idea of it because some packages had arrived before we took over, but we didn't really understand the dimension of, of what it was going to be. So the first year was a real learning curve for us. Um, and we've tried in subsequent years to be as accommodating as we can be of people's needs and it's so weather dependent you know people are soaking wet there's tents to be dried and all sorts of things like that and dealing things like gas canisters and other supplies that people would ask us for um, so uh, we're now really very enthusiastic about it we enjoy TGO week it's a good week and it's nice to see faces we've seen the previous year maybe don't always see during the year so it's, it's a good fun, good fun week for us. It's great. Well, I've already spoken to a few people who speak very fondly of, of you and uh, of, um, having been through the last couple of years. So you're definitely building a, a good uh, uh, repertoire with the, uh, with, the, with the challenges that uh, have visited this area before. Um, the, the, the final thing was I have noticed there's a few signs knocking around the place that you're twinned with Las Vegas. <laughs> now, I understand the, the Americans that come through tend to believe this. It, it is true. And it was um, a rather drunken night when a friend of mine said, who lives in the village, actually, he's a designer, and he said to me, my God, he says, you actually made the inn cool. How are we going to make the rest of Dolwini cool? So I said, we need to twin with somebody. And uh, he said, who? I said, I don't know. And I think 4 o'clock in the morning, I sent him an email going, Las Vegas. And at 6 in the morning, I got a PDF file done of the road sign. <laughs> and I just emailed him back and said, let's do it, get the sign made. So we did. And uh, as you see, there's all the merchandise, T-shirts and so on. But, yeah, it's amazing. The Americans come in and they believe it. And we just listen and you can hear, wow, do you realize we're a twin with Las Vegas? Um, and the other people just, you know, just love the humor of it. Um, so it's, it's just been one of these little jokes that just completely took off. So it's brilliant. brilliant. Well, all, all PR is good PR, as Oh, yeah, totally, totally. Well, Callum, thanks very much for your time. It's been a beautiful morning. I'm going to have to uh, set off shortly. And uh, I'm sure that uh, you're going to have many more challenges come through and others, other outdoor users as well. It's a, a fantastic base, um, ideally situated certainly off the, off the rail line, uh, off the main road. Uh, and uh, no, no matter which way you get here, uh, it's a fantastic and warm and welcoming uh, destination. So thank you very much indeed. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks. Good having you here. Well, hello. It's Shirley here. at a 20 to 10 on the morning of day six of TGO Challenge uh, 2009. And um, so I'm wandering along uh, a valley uh, which sort of passes by the side of the River Dolnane with Colin Ibbotson. Say hello, Colin. 
Hello. And uh, we had the most fantastic camp last night down by the river. Absolutely beautiful place. Um, perfect evening. It was sunny when we got there. There was just a tiny breeze, which was perfect for keeping off any midges that might have been around and uh, preventing any condensation during the night. Slept very well. Um, woke up, I suppose, uh, well, probably about half past five, read for a little while, fell asleep again sometime after six. Um, and finally I sort of sat up and made a drink at about seven o'clock. Heard Colin was uh, up and doing something similar in his his tarp. Um, so anyway, we got all things together. I unfortunately exhibited my usual sloth in the morning and it was, um, oops, I think probably almost half past eight, possibly even a little bit later by the time we managed to get away, which was entirely my fault. Um, but happily Colin is very patient and so we're wandering along now, having a lovely time. I just cannot believe that we're enjoying a fourth fantastically wonderful day in weather terms. Yet again, we have warm, bright sunshine and a cloudless sky. I've no idea how much longer it's going to continue, but long may it continue, it seems to me. And if we can manage to have this sort of weather as we go through the Cairngorms, then it'd be absolutely fantastic. So anyway, both Colin and I are heading to Aviemore. Colin has a date with... Uh, an eat-all-you-can pasta and pizza place that I'm hoping to check out as well. But of course, as always, my first priority has to be the kit shops. And so I'm going to have a little look in the kit shops, see if I can actually finally get my hands on uh, the new Osprey Exos. Read about it, of course, but the first time I actually saw it in the flesh was when I saw the one that Alan Sloman was carrying. It seemed to me to be very comfortable, so I'd like to take a look at that and basically just see what else there might be around. See if I can get a more sophisticated pair of headphones for my little MP3 player because uh, unfortunately the ones I brought with me have broken and I have managed to find uh, a replacement but they leave quite a lot to be desired. So anyway, there you go, browsing around that and then I have to make a decision at some stage about where I'm going to stay tonight. Really I hope it's going to stay on the campsite but you know, it's just possible. And I talked for a night of luxury in, uh, in the sort of flesh pots of Aviemore, involving exciting things like washing my kit, and maybe even, if I'm really naughty, a long soak in a bath with a gin and tonic. So anyway, all that remains to be seen, so I'll do a little update later on. But for now, it's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from Colin. Bye. Merry Little Band has uh, continued 
uh, on from the uh, Dalwinian. It's now uh, 1.30 and we're just beginning our climb over to Gaic Lodge. So uh, we're at the bottom of the zigzag. It's a very steep climb up to the plateau before we then have to take a bearing to pick up the other stalker's path to get down the other side. Um, the weather conditions are, are superb. Uh, the weather forecast the next few days is equally superb. Uh, blue skies, sunshine, etc., etc., but uh, potentially very, very high winds. And we've already experienced uh, quite a stiff headwind uh, making our way to this particular point. So we're expecting to have a good blast when we get to the top. Yesterday was uh, an epic day, um, and uh, as a result of that, we decided to uh, to try and take it a bit easier today. So as you heard, I did a, an interview with the Darwinian owner and um, we had a lazy start and we didn't really start till sort of 10.30 uh, hence the reason it's now 1.30 and we're uh, just at the beginning of the climb uh, but how did you feel about yesterday girls it was uh, rather a good one yeah it was um, gorgeous weather and sort of well in the depths of uh, beautiful scenery now so very enjoyable so lots of deer and it was nice being joined by David as well actually it's just sort of extra company and different people to talk to and things it's nice it took your mind off the aches and pains didn't it? it did especially that last um, rode along the lock it was very much pounding of the feet and um still didn't make the time to um catch a friend for a lift so um especially with the weather i'm carrying on to braemar a little bit tempted to stay and see it out and uh, what about you rose it was a long day but um some people were estimating up to 29 kilometers somewhere between 26 and 29k it, it was a really good path though wasn't it it was it was pleasant it wasn't difficult walking at all it was good and some spectacular views as we went up over the top and and down the other side and lots of tadpoles yeah and stopped off at the lodge and saw a couple of people who had a, a good break at um cooler Cooler lodge, cool lodge oh, yeah, wasn't it yeah. and uh the path through there on on was it was just easy easy walking it does seem to be that they've uh, the estates must have, have have spent some serious money on improving the path and uh, there's not so much heather bashing uh, certainly this year we've done it's two years since i've done the challenge but um, whether it's the route that we've taken or it is the way things are changing slightly in the highlands, but the um, the paths are a lot more established, um, ironically, apart from the one we're actually standing on. <laughs> uh, um, and uh, it does make for a sort of slightly faster transit. Uh, starting early did make the difference yesterday, though, and I think um, we started fresh and bright and breezy at, what, 7.30? Yeah, it made the difference, definitely. We certainly made the Coral Lodge in, what, four, four and a half hours? And then another four or so hours and we got to, to Dalwini, which surprised us all because I don't think we were anticipating arriving till sort of uh, later on in the evening. Well, we thought about six and got in at five, so it wasn't bad. No, very good game. So, um... Oh, and the beer. That white beer they had on was really good. Oh, well, should remember the name. Food was superb. Yeah, it was... The breakfast, especially this morning, we had a fruit platter and it was just exactly what you needed, some fresh fruit vitamins to keep you going. Very, very welcoming yeah, though, wasn't it? Yeah, very welcoming and, and the food was beautifully presented and as I say, very welcoming. Got all the washing done and spread yeah. out on the radiators and gave us lots more soap when we asked for it. And we had a bath, which we shared with David, not literally, <laughs> <laughs> I hasten to add. Well, um, let's gloss over that part, <laughs> shall we? <laughs> Yes, uh, David uh, took the used the facilities while we were in the bar. Indeed. I think that's probably the best way of putting it. Right, well, let's crack on then. Um, we're aiming for uh, Glenfeshie today, um, tonight rather, so we can uh, camp there and uh, show, uh, show Beth the, the beautiful Feshi, um, uh River and the body that's there. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a few people uh, having a social uh, social evening there, and then tomorrow we're going to try and get over the Cairngorm Plateau. But for the moment, we're just um, girding our loins to uh, attack this rather steep uh, zigzag approach to the top. So are you ready, everybody? 
Just yeah. about. <laughs> let's go for it. Just yeah. glad you did this at the bottom and not at the top. Yeah, yeah. indeed. Okay, let's go. Well, hello, another quick update. It's half past two on the afternoon of day six, and I'm sitting in the fish and chip shop in Aviemore. I've just um, eaten uh, a, a very delicious fish and chips and drunk a nice cold can of Coke. Um, Colin and I pressed on pretty fast down the Burma Road, well, up the Burma Road, up and up and up and up and up the Burma Road, and then down and down and down and down and down. And eventually we arrived at the um, pasta and pizza eat-all-you-can place, that we've been looking forward to for hours, only to find that it's closed on Wednesdays until further notice, which was a bit of a crushing disappointment. Anyway, we gathered ourselves together and pressed on a little bit further because um, Connor remembered seeing um, an Australian place and uh, it sounded as though that would be interesting. So we got there, we looked at the menu, the menu looked fantastic. Um, but just as we were about to go in, some people came out and told us it was closed. So, so that was pretty devastating as well. It began to seem as though we wouldn't be able to find anywhere to eat. But anyhow, we pressed on down the road and came to the chippy, and the chippy provided us with absolutely excellent fish and chips. Um, we both gave it an 8 out of 10, um, rated it pretty highly. So uh, there are now, as far as I understand it, four kit shops that we have to go and explore, so I'm very much looking forward to that. And we also have at least a pint of beer to drink, so there'll be that to do as well. And it's still, incredibly, um, a beautiful hot and sunny day outside. Um, okay, so that's about that for now. Colin's checking out his feet. He can feel there isn't something quite right about his heels. Um, I can feel there's something very significantly wrong with both of my feet. Uh, I developed, I uh, found that uh, I developed a blister on um, two of my toes um, over the course of the last couple of days. It seems to result from, it's not rubbing on my shoe, it's just resulting from the way that my toes are squashing against each other. And uh, I think also from lots of little bits of um, gunk that, that have got into my socks as I've been wading through bogs and things over the course of the last few days. Um, and that's a little bit sore, but uh, I'm not going to bother to look. I'm just going to go over to Tesco's later and buy some bits and pieces of foot-related um, first aid kit and uh, see if I can sort them out later on. Okay, so, well, there you go. That's that for now. I'll do an update later. next time as the journey across Scotland continues on the 30th anniversary TGO Challenge 2009. Find out how easy it is to subscribe to all our free programmes. Visit our website at theoutdoorstation.co.uk or look us up on Facebook.